Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4? We're going to start with verse 11. It says, and he gave, who is he? This is God. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, this is a key verse here. Why do we come to this building? Why do we come together? Why do we go to have coffee together? Why do we go to life groups? This is important. It's to equip us for the work of service. Another translation says work of the ministry. How many know we're all ministers? Now, that doesn't mean you have to get up on a stage behind the pulpit. It could be at work just being a light. It could be at school just being a light. Do you follow me? So what it is, is it's, it's about developing relationship with people. I look at uh, Jesus and his example. He called uh, 12 close-knit friends. He had more than, than just 12 disciples, but he had 12 close-knit disciples whom he just spent time with, and he taught, and he loved, and he showed them a new way. Can we do the same thing? So what if we, day-to-day at work, at school, in the community, actually saw someone and thought, wow, Maybe they'll be a disciple. Not that you go up, will you follow me? But will I spend time with this person, build relationship with them, and show them who the Father really is? Let me, let me say something, church. I think we have sorely disfigured God's face to the community and to the world. And what we've done is we've, we've mixed in these rules and religion, and we've made God look angry and mad and upset. And like, I'll spend some time with you if I have to, as if it's begrudging. But you know, he created us for one thing and one thing only, relationship. You follow me? For relationship. It's never changed. God never changes. He is love. It's never changed. Let's look at uh, verse 14. It says, as a result. So as a result of what? As a result of the fivefold ministry, we call it. We are equipped for service. We're built up. Isn't that good? Not torn down. It says, as a result, we are no longer to be children. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Doctrine is just a set of beliefs. Okay, you follow me so far? Because I want us to look at this doctrine thing because this is a big deal. It says, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in what? Love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, that's us, the body of Christ, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, does what? Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in what? Love. See, love is a center thing, isn't it? And I'm not talking about worldly love. I'm talking about God, because God is love. It's how we demonstrate his love to others. So I want to talk about this today, because doctrine really matters. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for another opportunity where we can look into your word. We can see what it is that you see, see things how you see them. I pray today that that change would happen in our minds. We'd see you differently. We'd see ourselves differently. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Now, let me ask you a question. How many here use a debit card? 
Anybody? Do you know that debit cards were introduced in like the mid-90s? And you know that right now it is the most widely used form of payment? Debit cards. Now, how many remember debit cards in the mid-90s? Do you remember how like finicky they were? I remember one time, well, a couple times, but I remember one time specifically, I was meeting with some guys and we were having dinner. How many remember Damon's? You guys remember Damon's? Yeah, it makes me feel old because it's been closed down for like 100 years. But So we were at Damon's and we're having this meal, just enjoying a couple hours of you know hanging out, eating, drinking, enjoying each other's company. And the bill comes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to use my debit card. So I put my debit card on there. Well, the waitress comes back to me and she says, uh, sir, it's not going through. It's not working. I'm like, what? Wait, wait, there's money in there. Now, there's, sometimes it doesn't work because we don't know how to budget and there's no money in there. I get that, right? Because debit cards are attached to an account, right? A bank account. But I had money in there. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Try it again. She tried it three times. It wouldn't go through. Now, this is how it was in the mid-90s. Like, debit cards weren't working everywhere. You weren't quite sure. And so we, we, I, I ended up saying, hey, guys, stay here. I'm going to run to the ATM machine and get money. We didn't want to all leave. We didn't want to think we were hot lunching it. How many have hot lunched it before? I almost caught you. I'm talking to you guys afterward and praying with you, but... They know, do you know what hot lunching is? You wait for the waitress after you eat to leave and then you sneak out? Yeah, that's horrible, I know. I saw it happen before, right in front of my eyes at Pizza Hut. I'm like, lady, pay for your food. That's a different story. So I run to the ATM and I get the money and I come back and pay. And it was like, man, I almost was afraid. I used to have to carry cash with me just in case the debit card didn't work. Mike knows what I'm talking about. It's like, just in case, I don't want to be stuck here washing dishes. But see, it's a lot better today. They become a lot more convenient uh, for those to use, and it's become a daily thing. Now, kids don't quite understand debit cards or credit cards, do they? Have you ever been out and about, and, and they say, Dad, Dad, can, can we get this? Mom, Mom, can we get this? And, and usually your response it would be a yes or no, but maybe sometimes you say, well, you know what? I'm just not going to spend the money on that right now. My kids, every single one at some point said this, well, just, just use your card. Just use my card. Yeah, just use the card. See, they don't understand that it's attached to an account that has a certain level of money in it, and you can't just swipe it all the time or you'll get in trouble. A a, a better example of this, a few weeks ago, I I rarely go through the ATM. And so I I had Aiden in the back seat. I had to go through and get some cash. I put my card in. I hit a few numbers, and he's like, oh, what's this all about? And money comes out, and he goes, Dad. (laughs) What? He's like, that is so cool. We can come to this machine whenever we want money and just put the card in and it gives us money. And I was like, yeah, I wish it were that way, son. But it's not. That's not how it works. He's like, what? I said, no, you, you have to have money in the account. It's really, it's my money sitting in the bank and I get it. And then he's like, so the money goes from the bank. And I had to explain all that. I'm like, no, 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 listen, listen. Bottom line is you can't just stick the card in and get money out. See, he didn't understand the concept of a debit card. Most kids don't, do they? Just swipe the card, just make it happen. See, I think that doctrine and theology are a lot like the debit card understanding to the kid or the kids. They don't quite understand the attachment. See, if you don't know the truth about how they work, then you come up with some ideas that are way off base. And see, doctrine's the same way. You know, we can hear things from a pulpit. We can hear things for years. And if it's wrong doctrine or bad doctrine or bad theology, we get these assumptions of what really is truth. Do you follow me so far? That's why it's important to have sound doctrine. Just let's sum it up like this. Doctrine 
matters. Say that with me. Doctrine matters. Now, we strive to do our best to, to preach sound doctrine, you know, studying and, and, and reading and, and doing those things, uh, seeking the Holy Spirit. One of these days in eternity, when I see Jesus face to face, I'll probably go, oh, I was wrong in some stuff. Now, I don't want to admit that now, but I'll say, oh, I was wrong. I think all of us will go, wow, I was wrong in some things. But let me tell you this, as your pastor, I pray and I study on purpose, with purpose, to give you the most sound doctrine I can. I'm not trying to lead anybody astray. In fact, I want to lead you straight to Jesus. If Jesus is your focus, if the Holy Spirit is your lead in life, you won't mess up. So we got to hear his voice. It's important. And doctrine is important because doctrine determines how you walk, how you see things, how you see the future, how you see the sacrifice of Christ. It really matters for how you walk. It's your foundation or springboard for life. How many follow me so far? And so it's the lens through which you see God, yourself, and others. Have you ever ran into maybe a fellow believer, and man, they just seem to be so hard-hearted and just raw and just mean-spirited? Well, it's the lens they're looking through. They think God's the same way. God's looking for an opportunity to just and kick me out of the family. So you better straighten up. And then what's unfortunate is instead of going, wow, God, I have issues, but you've taken care of those issues. And in order for me to go from here to there in life, I have to focus on you and I have to follow you and I have to hear your voice and I have to walk according to the spirit, not the flesh. They say, I'm going to look at someone else because their sin's bigger than mine and now I can feel good about myself. That's all it is. Pointing the fingers. We need to point a finger to Jesus as the center, as the focus of everything in life. So doctrine matters. In fact, the Apostle Paul gives us some awesome insight about this proper biblical teaching or preaching or doctrine in the verses we just read. Let's look again in Ephesians 4, chapter 14. He says, We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. See, one of the most important things that happens when we get sound doctrine is the ability to recognize false doctrine and false teaching. Have you ever heard somebody preaching or teaching, and this isn't putting anyone down, but you ever heard something and you went, ooh, that's not right. I don't think that's right. See, when you have sound doctrine, you can recognize false doctrine. And I'm not talking about like just crazy, like Jesus isn't God. Hmm, I wonder if it's on or not. Well, come on, we know that. But usually it's subtle things. And so we have to recognize that. I heard a pastor, he was telling a story about a local church. They would come to Sunday morning service, and at the end of the service, the pastor had this doctrine that every single one of the congregants who were there became demon-possessed from Monday to Saturday. Yeah, what, what? What? That's what I'm thinking. Every single, first of all, if you're a believer, there's no room for a demon because Jesus lives in there. Right? So don't be freaking out or afraid of that. This is wrong doctrine. So this preacher actually thought that, that Sunday you got clean, and then Monday through Saturday you got another demon. So what they did at the end of every service is they had a deliverance meeting. 
And he said, literally, <laughs> woo. <laughs> so he said, literally, people would go up to the altar. They'd start screaming and hollering, vomiting. Shonda, aren't you glad we don't do this? Because that cleanup would be really bad. They'd be vomiting and just going, ah, and all this stuff. They, then they'd get released, and then they were good. So he said he was in the service, and there was a lady next to him, and she started going, ah, and doing all this weird stuff. Then he looked at her, and he went, stop it. That's ridiculous. And she instantly stopped because she didn't have a demon. So you were trying to find demons in everything. How many know that's bad doctrine? That's bad theology. Now, the thing about it is when you look at it, that's blatant bad doctrine, right? How many would agree? We're not starting this next week. Trust me, we're never going to do this. If you're a believer, you don't got demons. In fact, I know in third world countries, there's a lot more manifestations of that. I think in the, in the U.S., there's so many things that preoccupy us anyway. We don't need a demon to get us distracted. Amen? But sometimes things are really subtle. Subtle bad doctrine. So let's talk about a common message today. And, and I want you to really hear me out through to the end, Okay. It's the idea of taking up your cross. I, I want to look at that today. Taking up your cross. In fact, if you want a title, it's taking up our cross, burden to bear, or new life. Did you catch that? Burden to bear, or new life. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Jesus is talking here. And, and to get some context... He's talking about the fact that he's got to go to the cross. He's going to die a death on the cross. He talks about the fact that he's going to resurrect. Now, people weren't quite getting it. Even the disciples, when he passed away, they were running and hiding and freaking out. And like, I thought he was our savior. See, they were looking for a Messiah, a king who would come and they would topple Rome. And we could worship God the way we want to. We're not on the Roman occupation anymore. Well, that didn't happen. So they didn't quite get it. So he's talking about the fact that he has to die and get raised again. In fact, Peter at this point says, no, Lord, I won't let this happen. And Jesus says kind words like, Satan, get behind me. Like, Peter, you're not going to stop this. So this is the context. Then he turns to the crowd and he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Did you catch those words? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Now I want to look at two different interpretations of this today. Because it's interesting, as we go on and we read more, we see that, that Jesus is talking about someone who tries to keep their life or save their life will lose it. If you lose your life, you'll gain it. There's a message in this. But let's look at two interpretations today. Interpretation number one, Jesus is preaching self-denial. And this idea, following Christ is all about self-denial and going without so it's this idea of, of, you know, you need to be in this daily habit of denying your appetites and denying your desires. If not, you're not a real Christian. We have standards that we will live out, but that's because he's already put those standards within us. It's not me trying to live the standards, not me trying to produce fruit. It's the Holy Spirit living his life through me, and all of a sudden I'm living the standards and I'm producing fruit. Big difference, right? So it's the idea of you're not a real Christian if you're not denying your appetites. The more you deny your needs and wants, the holier you'll be. Now, I've been here. I'm not ragging anyone. I'm giving you a couple interpretations. At the end, we can agree to disagree. By the end, you'll know what I believe. I, I challenge you, 
okay? I challenge you. I challenge you to, to listen to the message again, to take notes, to study, to question. I think the church is a great place to ask questions. See, I've been at churches where it's like, don't ask questions, the man of God has spoken. Well, listen, you're just a man of God. You're not God. So ask questions. I have people come and go, Pastor, I don't know if I agree with that. And I don't go, get out of the church. I say, really? Well, what, what's your side? And we converse. Sometimes we agree to disagree. Sometimes they come to my side. Sometimes like, you know, I can see that. I'm going to study that more. And then I say, wow, you were right in that. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being wrong. But I'm going to give you scripture and verse today. We're going to look at everything through the lens of Jesus to see truth. So the more you deny your needs and wants, the holier you'll be. So fast every day and you'll be just like Jesus, right? Of course, if you fasted every day, you'd probably die after a few days. But see, there's a problem with this interpretation. Because abstaining from, from food or, or movies or fun won't make you righteous and holy. You follow me? It might make you religious, right? But it's not going to make you righteous and holy. Who makes you righteous and holy? Jesus does. You're already righteous. You're already holy. This message of self-denial is nothing more than the ancient practice of asceticism. It's like this really strict, hard discipline on yourself. I'm really trying to do this. I'm going to prove myself. You know, there were people who actually would beat themselves with whips to prove their faithfulness to God. Come on. Do you, that'll work? Okay, you can leave. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but think about that. Yeah, I know what sarcasm is. Thanks. Um, and that was sarcasm right there. Um, But think about that, beating yourself to prove yourself a God. Does that even make sense? Why would somebody do that? Because they think life is denying myself. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not perfect. I'm not acceptable. I'm not pleasing. Yet God says the exact opposite about you as a believer. This is who he's made you to be. And I want you to know God does what he wants to do. So if he made you righteous and pleasing and holy and perfect and acceptable, he must have wanted to do that. Nobody twisted his arm. He loves us. We're part of the family. So we need to, we need to understand this idea of denial. It's a message that promotes self-righteousness. It, it's a do-it-yourself religiosity, and that is not what Jesus called us to. Here's another problem with this interpretation. It will always leave you anxious and insecure. Because you'll ask this question daily. Have I denied myself enough? I didn't go on Facebook all day. I read the Bible for like 45 minutes. I prayed all day long somehow. Eyes closed in the car. It was a miracle. But here's the problem with this. Someone else would come along and go, hey, what's up? Say, oh, I just got done with two hours of the Bible, man. I only did 45 minutes. So how much denial is enough? And then you get on this hamster wheel of, of self-works and self-effort and religion, and you're trying. God, I'm trying to keep up. I'm trying to do what you asked me to do. I'm trying. I'm trying. And it's like the Holy Spirit is saying, stop 
trying, rest in me and we'll do it together. You're going to do stuff. I gave you the good works in advance so you'll walk in them. I already put the fruit, it's in seed form in there. It will come out if you allow me to grow it through you because you can't produce fruit. The Bible says without God, you can produce nothing. God causes the growth and we have to see this. This idea of self-denial, it's, it's so wrong because we say, I need to die to myself, yet you now are a new self produced and made by God. Why would you deny what he made? You follow me? Now, I, I get the idea of why we go there. We, we want to prove ourselves. We want to do the right things because it's already inside. And so if we're not careful, then we look at this idea of the cross as a burden to bear as something we do to please God or get him to love us more. See, that's not good news. It's just not good news. Work harder, try harder, you're never good enough. How is that even good news? Jesus died so that we might be free from dead and useless religion. He didn't invite me to religion. How about you? He invited me to relationship. And through that relationship, he trains me. Certainly, he disciplines me. When he sees something in my life, he says, listen, let me train you for your future. Not punish you for your past, but let me train you out of that. Because you see when you did that, how you lost that relationship? You see how when you did that, the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that came over your life? He doesn't want you to feel those things. So he's saying, will you listen to me? Will you work with me? Will you watch me? Can we do life together? See, we've heard that bearing our cross is a true sign of faithfulness. I've got my cross. Where's yours? Pick it up. Be faithful. Come on. What are you doing? You're not being faithful. But it's interesting when you think about faithfulness and what it really means. Because we think it's up to us to produce faithfulness. Isn't faithfulness the fruit of the Spirit? Who produces the fruit of the Spirit? Wow, you guys are like amazing. What revelation. The fruit of the Spirit. He produces the fruit in us. And I'm telling you right now, if I were to sit down with any one of you as a believer, you would say from your lips, I want to be faithful. I want to love. I want to have joy and peace and patience and self-control. Just once with my children, I'd love to have self-control. Why do you desire those things? Because it's who you are. Do you follow me? I'm not trying to be hard today. And again, we can agree to disagree at the end, but I, I, I want us to live in the freedom that Jesus has won for us. Because here's the truth. True faithfulness is produced by Christ in you. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. So if we're not careful, in this way of thinking, we live a life of self-flagellation. Like, I'm going to beat myself into submission. I'm going to put myself down. I'm going to be extreme and hard on myself. And I'll tell you what, I've lived that before, and it is hell. And you don't get better, you get worse. Because you're not operating by the Spirit. You're not operating in freedom. It's guilt. It's shame. It's condemnation. And you try harder and you fail. And you try harder and you fail. It does not work. See, Jesus gave his life to us in order to live his life through us. And he wants to do life together. So, Jesus, I don't believe is preaching self-denial. 
Let's look at number two. Interpretation number two. Jesus is showing us the way to salvation. He's showing us the way to salvation. Here's a question. Who is the way to salvation? Yep. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus, here's Jesus saying, I am the way to salvation. And then he says this, follow me. Where? To salvation. Wait a minute, I got a burden to bear. No, 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 no. Let's lay the burden down at the cross. Let's crucify you. That's a pretty strong word, right? And then let's be raised again to newness of life. I believe it's an invitation here. He's the way. He says, follow me to salvation. See, the reason that I believe most Christians struggle to live the Christian life is that they don't know that they've died with Christ. This is a big thing to learn. And there's days where I have to remind myself, you know what? I've been crucified with Christ. Now, these are harsh terms, but we have to understand the meaning of this. What he's saying is that old self, who you were, was crucified. Now the new self, that's why this die-to-self theology isn't scriptural. Why would you die to the new self? It doesn't make sense. Now, I can understand choosing to walk according to the spirit rather than according to the flesh. But as far as you're concerned, you're righteous, holy, and pleasing. You're brand new at the core. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, say all, all things have become new. You're a new creation. This is amazing. See, if we can flip the script, so to speak, and see ourselves as brand new, see ourselves as righteous, see ourselves as worthy, we'll walk differently in life. You feel me? We'll walk completely different in life. We'll walk from a victorious position of Jesus won it all. It's his finished work. And now I'm just going to revel in it. I'm going to relish it. I'm going to saturate in it. I'm going to soak it up, baby. I'm telling you, that's the way to live free. Are you following me so far? This is interesting. Paul says again and again to the Colossians, he says, you died with Christ. To the believers in Rome, he says, we died with Christ. To the Corinthians, he says, we died. You see a running theme here. He's trying to get us to understand that we were crucified with Christ. We've died with Christ. Why? For new life. Because then in Romans 6.3 it says that you were baptized or placed into Christ. You were baptized into his death. Why? So then you could be raised again to new life. How many new lifers we got here? Isn't it awesome? Isn't God awesome? If you don't think he's awesome, then, then you haven't met my dad. You haven't met my heavenly father. And I'm not talking down to you. I'm just saying you haven't met him because for years I hadn't met him. He was the big God up there. He was kind of scary depending on how good I was on any certain day. And then I realized he's a loving father. And even when I screw up, he's already forgiven me. Even when I mess up, he has an answer for that. It's him reminding me of my righteousness and that you're not made for that. See, we're not a church that says sin's okay. Sin's great. No, sin will burn. It will sting. It'll ruin relationships. You might meet an early death. Sin stinks. Sin isn't good. But how do we get through sin or or habits or thinking? By renewing our mind. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The first thing we got to renew is this idea that, that we're bearing burdens for God somehow. 
Because Jesus said something really interesting in Matthew. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It also says that my commands are not burdensome. Why not? Well, there's something called the law of love. And you go, I've already, you already lost me. How do I walk in love? By letting God live his life through you, because he is love. It's not as hard as we think. We make it harder when we put demands on ourselves rather than focus on Jesus. I think this idea that we're baptized in his death is so important. This may be the single most important thing that's ever happened to you, yet many Christians are completely unaware of it. And since they don't know that they've died, they're constantly trying to die. I'm trying to die daily. Well, 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 Paul says, I die daily. Yeah, did you read the context? The dude was being stoned, ran out of cities, uh, jailed, imprisoned, uh, beaten, um, um, attacked by wild dogs. What the heck's going on there? Bitten by a snake. I mean, he was out doing the gospel, preaching the gospel, and all hell was breaking loose. And he says, man, I die daily for this. And then he went to his death as a martyr for the cause of Christ. And so we see that and we're like, oh, he's dying to himself. No, he's literally almost dying every single day because of the gospel. How many know you're not Paul? We don't, we, we don't even go near through what, what the apostles went through. Like, brother, I'm being persecuted. What happened? I was at work and I was playing K-Love and they told me to turn it off. <laughs> Persecution, man, Jesus told us. What? Because you can't listen to K-Love? I was reading my Bible and someone said, put that sh- away. And it was persecuting me. Guys, I understand the feelings we have, but uh, the apostles went through a whole heck of a lot more than that. They died for the cause. And so Paul wasn't saying, I die to myself daily. He was literally saying, I die daily for the gospel. Let's talk for a minute about what Jesus didn't mean. And, and this I don't want to get too detailed, but I want us to really think this through. Let's pretend for a minute that we're first century Christians. Because many people interpret the cross as some burden they must carry in their lives. So I have a strained relationship. I I have a thankless job. um, I have a physical illness. And so we take that upon ourselves and go, "It's, it's my burden to bear. It's my cross to bear. How many have heard this before? It's my cross to bear. And so they have this idea that, you know, if something's coming at me, what's really crazy is I'll blame it on God. God gave me this physical issue because it's my cross to bear, because it will make me more worthy and holy, and I'll, I'll count on him. I know countless people who have been born with deformities or different issues in life, or they lose their job or something happens, and then they begin to hate God because they think he did it to them. God's not hurling down bad stuff at you, folks. The world comes at us from all ways, but he's always there to give us peace to restore us, to love us back. Do you understand me? This is a big thing that we have to understand. But this idea, if we're first century Christians, they would have never saw the word cross as a synonym for burden. You know, you know what's interesting to me is, is this is the life they lived. They could be going down a road from city to city. They could be going inside the, the gates of the city. They could be inside the city. And you know what they saw? Because Rome loved to do this, especially to insurgents or or people who were rebels. They loved to crucify them. So they literally, sometimes when they would dominate an area and take it over, hundreds, sometimes thousands. At one point, they were running out of timber to crucify people. 
down roads. Imagine you as a, a young kid or even an adult walking down a road and all you see and all you smell is dead flesh and rotting people hanging on crosses, rodents and birds picking at them. They were crucified down roads, in city gates, inside cities. It was gruesome. It was horrible. It was horrendous. Do you know it was so bad that it was inappropriate to talk about crosses or crucifixion? You ever been sitting at the table and one of your kids is like, oh, the other day, and he has some kind of like gas joke, and you're like, whoa, 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 not, not at the table, not at the table, man, we're eating. See, crucifixion was the same thing. Let's not talk about this. We, we don't talk about crucifixion. We just walked past 16 people who were crucified. It's horrible. And yet here in the 21st century, you say, cross, it's my cross to bear. It's a burden. Let me say something. If you're bearing a cross in the first century, you're going to certain death. You follow me? I want us to get this. Uh, it wasn't, what are you doing, man? You've been carrying it around for 40 years. Yeah, it's my cross to bear. Just walking through town with a cross, just enjoying your little cross and your burden. No, if you had a cross on your back, you were going to die. Nowhere in first century would a Christian say, wow, Lord, you want me to bear a burden? Jesus is like, what are you talking about? I said, bear your cross. So what? Does it mean to bear a cross? Think about this. When Jesus carried his cross up Golgotha to be crucified, no one was thinking of the cross as a symbol of a burden to carry. They looked at Jesus and went, he's going to die. He already was whipped. Many times they would scourge him beforehand. They wouldn't even look like a human being. I'm not trying to, trying to get you emotionally involved, but yet I am so we can understand something. If you say that's my cross to bear, cut it out of your vocabulary because it's not right terminology. Jesus didn't call us to bear a cross, meaning a burden. So what did he call us to carry a cross for? To a person in the first century, the cross meant one thing and one thing only. Death by the most painful and humiliating means human beings could develop. So this isn't talking about bearing heavy burdens to help us walk out this life of Christianity. Jesus came to give us life. And what's it say? Life more abundantly. Life to the full till it overflows. He said, my yoke is easy and thy burden is light. So if we look again at Matthew 16, 24, and then 25... Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Verse 25, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, this is Jesus talking, will find it. Now the word follow in the Greek means to follow one who proceeds or to accompany. So Jesus picks up his cross and you pick up your cross, and then you follow him. This verse is surely an invitation to lose one's life. It's surely an invitation to salvation in Christ. Jesus was speaking of the invitation to a new life in him, and this is precisely what happens to Christians at salvation. If you've gone to church for any amount of time, you understand this. So imagine this, Jesus says, pick up your cross. So you pick it up and you're like, okay, what are we doing? He says, well, just follow me. So you're following Jesus. Now, where's Jesus going? He's going to Calvary. 
what happens when you get to Calvary? He's crucified. Oh, so I'm going to get crucified too? Yeah, absolutely. We, We read it over and over and over again, right? We're crucified with Christ. We're baptized or immersed in his death. It sounds morbid, I get it. But this is what takes care of the old nature. But here's the beauty is then we're raised again to newness of life. And now the Holy Spirit lives in us and he lives through us. So here's a question. How many times did Jesus pick up his cross? How many times do we pick up our cross? The answer is once. Because once you're dead, you can't pick it up anymore. I know there's people going, okay, wait, this is a weird sermon, dude. I don't go study it. Study it out. And we can agree to disagree. That's fine. We have to see scripture correctly. We reject salvation to hold on to our life and we lose it. We lose our, our former life as we're crucified with Christ and we get new life. Now, let's, let's deal with the elephant in the room because I know some of you are like, well, there's other parallels. You're using Matthew and it makes it kind of easy because Mark 8.24 says it too. And then here's the big one, Luke 9.23. What's it say? Pick up your cross. See, I know that people go, no, no, listen, man, listen. It says daily. So see, you're totally off base. Well, I want to look at this two different ways. I've studied this quite a bit. And there's a lot of scholars and theologians who don't believe that Dr. Luke wrote daily in there. They say in the original manuscripts, there's no daily. They say that when a scribe was, was, was translating this, he added daily. Probably because he felt like I got to die to myself daily. Look it up, you'll see. But let's say that Dr. Luke was saying, yes, you need to pick up that cross daily. Even if he was, I believe it makes the point stronger. He's saying every day, remind yourself of your death in Christ. Remind yourself of that cross and what it means. It means that now, because you were crucified with Christ, you have a brand new life in him. Will you focus on that new life? I tend to believe the scholars because, you know, listen, people translated, men translated. There's many times, just look in your King James, you'll see italics. It's stuff that was added in because they thought, you know, I should add this in just to kind of sweeten the deal. But it usually doesn't sweeten it. It usually makes it more sour. Does that mean that I don't trust the Bible? Absolutely, I trust the Bible. Absolutely. But maybe the daily isn't there. Maybe it is. But if it is, we have to look at the parallels. We have to look at the context. A cross never meant a burden. If you carried a cross, you were going to certain death. And Jesus is saying, will you lose your life in order to find it? Do you see the context here? So even if you have to get up every day and remind yourself that I'm a new creation, I know I have to because sometimes I feel like that old man, but it doesn't mean you are. The symbol of the cross to us today is one of redemption. How many would agree with that? But in the time of Jesus, it was a penalty for crime. And you know what's interesting? It's a unique death, isn't it? it, it it's a death that you can't do to yourself. I mean, you could, you could do the first nail, right? But, but then what do you do? You know, what, what are you going to do? How are you going to crucify yourself? I think it's beautiful that God used crucifixion at this time because it shows us that we cannot get new life on our own. Real quick, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In the Greek, this first I, it is no longer I, it's the word ego. That's where we get our word ego. Talking about me. This is my ego. This is who I am. He says, it is no longer I, myself, who I am right now, who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live. That's the word zao. It means to have true life. Completely different word. To have true life, active, blessed, endless in the kingdom of God. It talks about spirit life. What Paul's saying is that the life that I used to live, now that I'm crucified with Christ, is gone. And now I have new spirit life. In fact, Kenneth Wiest put it like this in his translation, with Christ I have been crucified and it is no longer I who live, but there lives Christ in me. Isn't that beautiful? Final scripture for today is in Hosea. You guys getting something out of this? Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, it says this, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The message says it like this, I'm after love that lasts, not more religion. I want you to know God, not go to more prayer meetings. Isn't that awesome? It just points us right back to, it's about relationship with God. That's what he desires. And when Jesus says to bear that cross, it's not a burden, it's certain death. But it's a good death because it's death to the old man, meaning resurrected life, and now you become a new man. So in conclusion, we pick up our cross once. Then what do we do? We follow Christ to death and resurrection and now walk in a new life in Christ. We also see this, that a die-to-self theology is not scriptural. Our old nature has been crucified and done away with. We now walk in a new life in Christ. We aren't called to bear our cross. We're called to bear his image in the earth. See, when we realize what it means to be a Christian, everything changes. Being a believer is not bearing burdens. It's bearing his image in the earth. It's saying, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. He's my dad. This is what Jesus did for me. This is what the Holy Spirit does through me. We're bearing his image. We're showing his light. We're advancing the kingdom so people can see a better way to live. God is not willing that any should perish. Isn't that awesome? Will you just bow your heads and pray with me? See, life isn't about running around trying to be busy for God trying to get him to like us more or to be completely honest trying to keep liking him because it seems so hard and why are you doing this to me it's so hard better yet why don't we fall into him because we're already united with him let's fall into him stop trying to be a copy of him participate with him in the gospel he's gentle he's kind and I know that we, we picture this. For years I did, we picture God saying, get out there and work hard for me. But see, that's not the truth. What he's really saying is spend time drawing close to me and the life that I've given you. Will you work from a state of rest? Will you work from a state of faith 
and trust in me. Our life as a believer, it can be summed up like this. We wake up every morning and we say, hey, Jesus, what are you doing today? And then he tells you and you say, oh, cool, man. Can, 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 I, can I go with you? That's our life as a believer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I pray today that, that minds were changed in some areas, not forcefully, but I believe that today we can see things differently because our doctrine is really that springboard, that foundation for our life, how we walk, how we talk, how we live, how we see you, how we see ourselves, and how we see others. You're so good, Lord. And you're simply asking us to trust you. Will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you, will you take up that cross sitting over there? What, what, the, the cross, why would I do that? Is that a burden, Lord? No, no, no. No, that's, you're going to die today. Whoa, wait, wait, Lord. If you're here today and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I don't want to scare you. We're, we're not going to drag out timber and crosses today. We don't crucify people physically. This is a spiritual death we're talking about. If you're here and you say, you know, I've never made that decision to follow Jesus, it's, it's interesting that he actually spiritually will, will kill me off and then resurrect me into new life and make me brand new and part of his family. It's like this DNA swap, a brand new heart, the Bible says. So you can't trust your heart before Christ. It, it'll tell you all kinds of things, but after Christ, oh, no more wicked heart, clean heart, Holy Spirit led you're here today and you say, you know what, you know what, Pastor Andy, I, I want to make the decision. Just quickly raise your hand. I thank you, Father, for every person here, for those of us who have taken up our cross, who followed you to Calvary, who were crucified and now resurrected. We thank you that we will continually learn who you are, who we are, and how we're to walk this life out. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Thank you. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.